0: Parents, if you haven't checked in your kids yet, please do that out in the lobby, and uh, make sure you save that sticker that you receive, and use that um, following service to pick them up before you go home today, and if you have your Bibles, um, I think I'm going to have you turn to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10 is where, what I want you to see, and we're going to take a little bit of time uh, to get to Luke chapter 10, and I want to, I'm wondering, how many of you, don't raise your hand, how many of you invited someone to come with you today? And if you didn't, why not? And the awkward silence. How many of you invited... Let's take it a step further. How many of you invited someone who... Not someone who goes to another church, but someone who doesn't know Christ to come with you today? How many of you know someone personally who doesn't know Christ? Okay, so... A lot of homework assignments for the week there. Um, We do have these little cards in the back, connect cards that talk about our services. You can use those very easily to invite people to join you for service. Um, Don't invite them to come alone. Invite them to join you uh, for service and believe that God does encounter us when we are here and that our lives are transformed by that encounter. You know, we've been studying over the last few weeks a message that's based uh, on the message that Jeff Dio wrote in his book called Awakening Pure Worship. And that message is that God wants a close, intimate connection with every person on the planet. Every person on the planet. So when you walk by people this week, especially maybe people that irritate you or people that you're offended at or people that you rather would not be near, God wants an intimate relationship with them. And either you're helping them get there or you're hindering them from getting there. Is it possible to be indifferent to them getting there? I don't know. I think God puts us where he puts us to make that stuff happen. And so as we've been going through this message, because I felt like at the beginning of this year, the two things that God wanted us to focus on specifically was loving God and loving people. And we are studying Awakening Pure Worship, this message, because it's easy for us to say, well, yeah, I love God. But we're trying to dig a little deeper to see if we are indeed loving him or worshiping him with all of our heart, all of our mind, all of our soul, and all of our strength. And then we're going to move in the month of March, we're going to move into a study on being unoffendable. Being unoffendable and what that means and how to actually love God people. Because how many of you know we live in a society now that is easily offended? Easily offended. And we no longer listen to what someone is saying. We view it through the lens of our past experience with that person or what we've already made up in our mind they're like. We do this with televangelists a lot. We... we, Take a quote that some televangelist has said, and based on what we have already believed about them, that's how we view the quote. Instead of maybe looking at the quote by itself and seeing if there's truth in it. And that makes us guilty. In fact, if you redo your reading this week, you'll find a quote by Victoria Olstein in this chapter. And it's a quote that has been long criticized by many in the church. And Jeff tries to spin it and say, could it have meant something else and he's not defending her and he's not her defender or her judge but at times we just automatically assume because of our made-up minds what is right and what is wrong and we don't go into the scripture to really dive into whether or not what we're believing is right or wrong we just kind of go based off what We want to go off of and so this awakening pure worship message we started with the the concept of what is worship and we spent three weeks talking about what worship is and how worship is more than just the the service that's right here and the songs that we sing worship is every part of our lives. Worship is life, in fact, was the second message of the series, but then last week, we took a step back, and we talked about being present in worship, and we talked about how singing is worship, and it's a weapon, and now we're going to move into not just what is worship, but we're going to look at why we worship, and we're going to stay on the concept of worship as singing for the beginning part of this message today, and then we'll kind of take the lid off of that and go back to worship in every area of our lives, but why do we worship? I mean, that's a great question. God commanded it. I guess that's good enough. I mean, how many of you growing up, when your parents you asked your parents why, they said, because I said so. And if you were afraid of your parents, that was good enough. <laughs> if you weren't, and you thought there was a glimmer of hope that you could change their mind, you argued with that. And so I suppose God just saying, Thou shalt worship me um, is good enough, and maybe we could worship him, but he's a good father. Amen. So maybe there's a reason that he calls us to worship, and maybe we can understand what that is, and I think we can, and I think worship is actually not for God. And so the title of the message today is Worship is Not for God. Interesting. Interesting. Now, I want to be really clear right up front while everyone's still awake and with me that worship is about God, worship is to God, but worship is for you and me. Our worship should always be aimed at Him. It should always be focused upon Him. He is the object of our worship, the reason that we worship. He is the only one worthy of worship. But when we look at why he commands us to worship, why he commands us to sing, why he commands us to offer sacrifices, I think we find that worship is not for God at all. It's actually for us. He doesn't need our worship. Now, he may desire it because of what it produces, Because I believe that as we worship and as we sacrifice, we actually come into a greater connection with the Father, and we have greater intimacy with Him, and ultimately, that's what He wants, but ultimately, I believe worship is for us, and so if we go all the way back to where worship kind of starts in Genesis chapter 4 with Cain and Abel. Remember Cain and Abel? We, We go to that story, and they bring a sacrifice. They're worshiping God, and Cain brings the fruit of his labor. I mean, he has toiled for these veggies, and he has presented them to the Lord, and Abel brings a lamb. Now, it's hard work being a shepherd, but ultimately, he had nothing to do with that lamb, other than he put a male and a female together, and uh, they let that happen, and then the, the, the lamb was born, and he maybe kind of helped protect it, but ultimately, that's what he brought. He brought. And yet God from the beginning rejects Cain's offering and he accepts Abel's offering. That makes Cain pretty irritated and angry to think, well, God, I worked hard to present this offering to you. How dare you reject it? And he's not angry at God so much as he is his brother whose offering was acceptable. In this bizarre? I know none of us good church folk in this room would ever be like Cain and Abel. I mean, we would not harbor resentment toward our, our brother for something in any way, shape, or form like this. Not Certainly not bad enough to kill him. But you've got to understand, God is teaching them something from the beginning that's important. The fruit of your labor is not how you approach me. Blood is. From the get-go, if God accepts the fruit of Cain's labor as worship to draw near, the rails come off the cart. The only way you can approach me is through blood. And so the sacrifices that then get instituted in the Old Testament through Moses, through the law, help reiterate that. They help put that in our hearts. And so they're offering blood sacrifices and they're offering grain offerings and sacrifices. And the question again is, why does God need them to do it? I mean, why didn't God just send Jesus from the get-go and why didn't he just get it all taken care of and why did he develop this long plan? Because God wants to be sought after. See, we want everything easy. We want to pull up to the drive-thru. We want to order everything off the menu. We want everything black and white. You, Pastor, you just show me in Scripture what things do I need to do so that I can get to heaven, so I can have a good Christian life. Tell me what to do. Tell me what to do. And I can't just tell you what to do. It's not all black and white because God is a relational God, and he's calling us into intimacy with him. And if we try to live our lives as just black and white, we're going to miss most of it. And so he develops this long drama, if you will. I mean, we love the fact that when our movies are like three hours long and there's this long drama that unfolds, we love that. Man, what a great writer. Oh, what an awesome plot line. Well, we should be saying that to God. Because look at how he's brought it all together, even with the Passover lamb that I started the service with. I mean, how cool is that? And two women. Well, actually, yeah, two women that God used as part of that. Look at Psalm chapter 50. I have no complaint about your sacrifices or the burnt offerings that you constantly offer, but I do not need the bulls from your barns or the goats from your pens, for all the animals of the forest are mine. I own the cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird on the mountains and all the animals of the field are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you. For all the world is mine and everything in it. Do I eat the meat of bulls? Do I drink the blood of goats? In other words, God's trying to get them to understand it's not just about the sacrifices. The sacrifices are not for me. I don't need you to offer bowls. I don't need you to bring me something as if I I, I need it from you. It's all for you. It's for you to understand that that blood sacrifice is necessary. It's for you to understand the, the penalty of sin and what that does and how serious this is. And so I put these things in place for you. I want you to learn about my character. I want you to learn about my nature. I want you to learn about my kingdom. I want you to come closer to me for intimacy. And so the blood is how you do that. And so we know that Jesus fulfills all of that. And then in the New Testament, we get verses like this from the the writer of Hebrews. Let us offer to Jesus, or let us offer through Jesus, a continual sacrifice of praise to God, proclaiming our allegiance to his name. And don't forget to do good and to share with those in need. These are the sacrifices that please God. So again, does God need us to sing? I mean, does God get depressed through the week? So he's like, hey, on Sunday mornings, I really, want you, I really need you guys to show up in a building together and sing me some songs so that I can get through another week. I mean, maybe you've never stopped to think about why we do all these things, but we don't just do them to fill time. How many of you have like an excessive amount of time in your lives and you don't know what to do with it? Okay, good. Well, actually that's bad because I had lots of jobs for you, but but we don't just come here to fill space. You come here to encounter God. You're 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 singing, you're praising, you're lifting your voice, you're doing good to others, your sacrifices. Here's the thing. God doesn't need to hear our praises. He knows our hearts. And sometimes our praises and our hearts don't match. And he sees through that. People around us don't see through that, but he does. What we need to hear is our lips singing his praises. Because all week long, we hear our lips cursing other people. We hear our lips cursing our situation. We hear our lips cursing so many things. Or we hear other people cursing our situation. Or we hear other people cursing the dilemmas that we're in. And so we need to hear our lips praise God. Now, when we come together in this room, we can withhold our praise to God. I mean, if I woke up today and I'm like, I am mad at Christy, so I'm not worshiping today. She's the worship leader, and I'll show her. I mean, does that really affect her at all? <laughs> no, it doesn't affect her. I didn't wake up mad at her, by the way. Okay, so that's an illustration. If Stan would have been up here, I would have used him too. But So it's just she was the worship leader. So here's the thing. If I choose not to worship, I don't hurt the worship leader. I don't hurt the other pastors. I don't hurt any of you. The only one affected by my choice not to worship him is me. Is me. And imagine me standing before God today and saying, well, God, I would have sang to you today, but I really didn't know any of those songs. I mean, imagine eyeball to eyeball with God today. Well, God, I know I could have like sang and worshiped, you know, a little more intense. I could have put my phone down, but hey, um, she didn't do a very good job of drawing me in. I mean, there was no beat. I mean, think about it. Is Is this kind of what we do? We're waiting for, I mean, we're waiting for something that, something has to be done for me to declare the praises of God. We don't come here to worship. We come here worshiping every day of our lives. I don't wake up feeling like I should worship, but the moment I realize who God is again, I start worshiping. I start declaring his praise. Why? Because my, myself needs to. God does not need our praises. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of the heavens and the earth. He does not live in temples. He doesn't live in this room. He's not more present here than he is in your house. Unless you only invite him here, He's not more present here than anywhere. He's not served by human hands as if he needed anything. He gives, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. And so God is in no way increased or decreased by our worship. Worship is meant for us. And here's the thing. It's meant for us to be transformed. It's meant to bring us into an encounter with God. That encounter does not have to be emotional. You don't have to shed a tear. You can shed a tear. You don't have to feel goosebumps. You can feel goosebumps. It doesn't matter. But the praising of God is supposed to bring us into an encounter with God that transforms our lives. I've been in some emotional services where people cried and they rolled and they, they had good feelings and they were so pumped up and they went out and they were nasty people once they walked out of the building. They were mean to people. They were rude to people. That, you've missed the whole point. You've made your worship as if that's something you have to give to God. The worship is not something we give to God. It's for us to be transformed. Transformed. So we become like him. You do know that you become like what you worship. And so as we worship him, we become like him. Second Corinthians chapter 3, we with unveiled faces, beholding the glory of the Lord, are transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. And it's not just singing. It's about giving. You know... I don't make any apologies for talking about giving. I know some people are like, well, the church always talks about money and they talk about giving. Well, here's the thing. It's impossible for you to know God as provider if you're going to continue to be your own provider. I mean, if you're not going to tithe, as God said, if you're not going to go beyond the tithe and give excessively, as God said and as the Old Testament church did, you won't know God as provider. And you know why we don't tithe and why we don't give excessively? Well, because we're afraid we're not going to have enough because, after all, we're our own provider. Yeah. And you know what happens when we worship money? We become greedy and we become stingy. And we have tons of things that we don't need, but we think we need. I know it's getting... Crazy quiet again. So I'll just move on to something else. But this is the thing. The danger of making worship an activity. Well, I I put my money in the basket. No, putting your money in the basket is supposed to be a stretch because you need to encounter God as provider. That's what it's about. I mean, when's the last time you or I sold a possession to help someone in need? That's the kind of excessive generosity that that took place in the, the book of Acts. And see, as we understand that worship is not just an activity to do, singing is not just something we do to God. It's not just something we do for God. It's something I've done to God for me. My life is being transformed, so when I go out, I live differently. Ever-increasing glory. It was never supposed to be about coming to this room. It was never supposed to be about coming on a certain day. It was supposed to be about an ever-increasing glory that takes over every part of my life. This is what awakening true worship is all about. And I don't have time to cover everything Jeff covers in the book. I hope you take time to read through the scriptures and study the scriptures that he's put in there and explain to you. Because he's trying to unlock pure worship in our hearts. See, the danger when we make worship an activity is Isaiah 58. On the day of your fasting, you do as you please. Fasting is not for God. Fasting is for me. It's to transform my mindset, my heart. It's to break things off of my life. It's to break spiritual atmospheres that are keeping me back. Yeah, we, we do these things to God for us. And if we do them to God and for God, then we leave quarreling in strife, striking each other with fists, you can't fast that way and expect that your voice will be heard on high. This is what happens in the Old Testament. And so let's bring it back to the New Testament. You're in Luke chapter 10, I hope. Our favorite story, our friends Mary and Martha, we were introduced to them at the beginning of the service, and now we're back, and we're going to talk to them. And Mary and Martha here in Luke chapter 10, Jesus is at their house, and they have been, he has been invited there, and... Martha is preparing a meal. And so here's what it says. As Jesus and the disciples continued on their way to Jerusalem, verse 38, they came to a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. Who welcomed them? Martha. Okay. Who welcomed them? Martha. Okay, good. Her sister Mary. Who welcomed them? Martha. Okay. Mary sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he taught. But Martha was distracted by the big dinner she was preparing. So she came to Jesus and said, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits here while I'll do all the work? Tell her to come and help me. Who invited them? Martha. Interesting, interesting. And you would think the Lord would be like Mary... This is the place for the men. Why are you even in the room? Literally, culturally, it was. Why was she in the room sitting at his feet? She should have been in the back of the room, barely listening. But she was sitting at his feet. But the Lord says to her, My dear Martha, you're worried and upset over all these details. There is only one thing worth worrying, worth being concerned about. Mary has discovered it. And it will not be taken away from her. Now, there's a lot in this passage that I just... I'm like... One... I did Why didn't she talk to Mary? I mean, she went right to Jesus. I mean... Isn't there a protocol here? You go first to the person and then over their... I mean, they went right over their head. Wow. Talk about offense. Right up here. So she's offended at Mary because Mary is not helping her. Although... Uh, I'm guessing that there were a lot of nonverbal cues being offered in the room. You know what I'm talking about? (coughs) Mary! Mary! I mean, I can imagine Martha. And so Jesus gives this great response. And what I want us to understand is he is not condemning work. Work has to happen. And work should be spiritual. It should be worship. Remember, we've talked about that. Our worship, our work should be worship to God, but our work can be worship or it can be worshiped. And what Martha's doing here is worshiping the work. She's not worshiping the one she's providing the meal for, she's worshiping the actual work. Her identity is totally rooted in how this meal gets pulled off. Now, this is the same guy that took a few loaves and a couple fish and fed 5,000 people. So he's more than able to meet any incompleteness that Martha has as a result of Mary not helping her. But Martha is distracted. She's not in the kitchen listening for Jesus. She's not in the kitchen trying to worship God and letting this meal flow out of him. And so Jesus is trying to help us understand that when we prioritize anything over our relationship with Him, if we get distracted. And that can't be. This one thing that we're supposed to be concerned about is being connected with him. And that one thing is not singing songs. That one thing is not just quietly sitting at the feet of Jesus. That one thing is not coming to this room. That one thing is being one with him. Whether I'm in the office, whether I'm on the court, whether I'm in this room, whether I'm at the store, whether I'm in my home, whether I'm all alone, whether I'm with other people, I'm connected to him the same connection whether I'm lifting my hands in worship or I'm washing dishes at work in the sink I'm connected to my father That's what he's trying to teach her. He's not condemning her for working. He's condemning her for being distracted. He's condemning her for trying to get her identity in her work. He's saying, you've got to understand this one thing is you get connected to me, and everything you want to do is going to flow out of it. But if you try to do in order to get your identity, you try to do in order to get, you're just going to get frustrated. And you're going to get upset at people that aren't doing their own thing, their weight. I mean, think about it. We get so upset, people in the church, they don't serve like we do. Why don't these other people serve? Why don't they do what I do? It doesn't even sound like you know why you do what you do. Because you seem like the burden you're carrying is not light and the yoke that's around your neck is not easy. But when you come to me, Jesus says, that's where it is. Because if we get our identity from our work, what happens when we lose our job? What happens when we do poor at the job? Jesus is saying, Martha, don't be distracted. Don't be worried and upset. And don't sit in judgment on Mary. Stop running around the kitchen acting like the fate of the world hangs in the balance for you to do stuff. Here's the thing. Obedience is absolutely necessary and important in our lives. Obedience is worship. We've already talked about that. But it's easy to try to start being obedient Christians and not be connected to our Father at all. And one of the telling ways is how you feel about your obedience. Is it a pleasure or is it frustrating? Are you pleased to serve even your enemies or are you just irritated that they're not pulling their weight because if you're doing it to him and you're doing it for him and you're serving him he can fill in any deficiencies that exist we've made this about mary is a worshiper and martha's a doer and so now we have people that say well you know i i don't lift my hands in worship or i don't really sing because i'm a martha i don't know what that is Okay, as if Mary was a singer. She's not singing. She's sitting, listening. (laughs) So I don't know where we get these things in the church culture. We make it as if Mary would be like the lady in the worship service who's just dancing and singing, and, and I'm not like that. Well, David is the only one we see dancing and singing in the Scriptures. So you hunters, why don't you dance and sing? David did. I mean, it must be what hunters do. Do you understand? We've we've missed the whole point of this story. It's not a question of whether you're you're singing or what your personality's like. And I know all of those things have a place. It's about whether or not we're serving him out of our intimate connection with him. Speaking of David, let's look at what David said about this one thing. The one thing I ask of the Lord, the thing that I seek most, is to live in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. I mean, if David lived today, most of us would think David is going to pitch a cot in this side room over here because he he wants to live in the house of the Lord, so he's going to keep that door open because God's here and he wants to always be here. Except if you remember the word that Mark shared with us at the end of the service last week is that the temple is now you and I. We are the temple. He lives in us. And everywhere we go, he is. And so this room should be no more special to you than any other place on the planet. Yeah, there's an affection for it because God has met us here. And there's an affection for it because we like being with the other people in the room. But I don't need to be here to encounter God. I need to be encountering him everywhere I am. And stop thinking you're not educated enough to encounter him or you're not creative and artsy enough to encounter him or you're not whatever enough to encounter him. He created you to encounter him. And the only way you're actually going to do what he created you to do and find fulfillment in it is to be connected to him. I mean, this is what Jesus taught or prayed as he was praying in John chapter 17. God, I pray that they will all be one just as you and I are one. As you are in me, Father, and I am in you, may they be in us so that the world will believe that you sent me. And I know that most of us are thinking, well, Pastor Tom, I feel like I'm already in him. I mean, I feel like I'm doing everything I can to be in him. Okay, so here's the thing. The Bible says if we're in him, we'll bear much fruit. And so what happens when we look at our lives and we see that we're not bearing much fruit? Well, we try to do something to change that. But where do we bear fruit from? Our connection to him. And we wouldn't want to dare admit that maybe the problem is our connection to him. If transformative ministry... Look at the end of this. As the so the world will believe that you sent me. Here, church, listen to this. Why does our world not believe that Jesus was sent from God? Maybe. Maybe. It has something to do with the church's connection to Her father. Our father. Maybe. But we don't want to admit that. Oh, that would make me a bad person. Or it could get you freedom. Or it could actually get you fruitful. I mean, this is the thing. And we try to drown it out by doing good works. Revelation chapter 2. We try to drown it out with this. Look at this. Jesus comes to this church in Revelation. This is what he says. I know all the things you do. Now, I don't know what kind of statement that would be for you today, but if Jesus walked into this room, walked right up to you and said, I know all the things you do, would you be excited or would you be sweating bullets? (laughs) I know what you do. And then look at this. It gets good. I have seen your hard work. Your patient endurance. I know that you don't tolerate evil people. Your doctrine is pure. Yes. I knew we were better than the Baptists. You have examined the claims of those who say they are apostles, and they are not. I knew it. Another one. You've discovered they're liars. You have patiently suffered for me without quitting, and we're feeling pretty good about ourselves right now. But if you know your Bible, you know there's a big but coming. <laughs> it's. <laughs> have I just lost the room? Come on, Bebo. I'll use this moment to take a drink. Man. (laughs) There really is, look, but. (laughs) All right, bring it back. But I have this complaint against you. I mean, that's not bad. One complaint. I mean, a whole list of good stuff, one complaint is as good. You don't love me or each other as you did at first. You've lost your first love. Look how far you've fallen. Turn back to me and do the works you did at first. If you don't repent, I will come and remove your lampstand from its place among the churches. Now that sounds pretty significant. I'm going to remove your place from among the churches. What I want us to understand is they've lost their first love. They're being very active, but they've lost the connection point for their activity. And apparently, that's strong enough for God to say, if you don't turn back, I'm going to come and take your place away. Why? Well, because you are a very poor representation of who I am. And I do not want that to be who I am in the world today. Is there any reason? Why do you think it is the world thinks God is angry at them? I mean... He's not angry at them because he poured out his wrath on Christ and now he just wants everyone everywhere to repent. And yet our message is God's so angry with us, if we don't repent, he's going to judge us all. Well, yeah, on judgment day, but right now there's the cross. I mean, it's okay for us as Christians to be sinning and struggling in sin, but you know, God forbid that sinners sin. God's judgment is coming on our nation because sinners sin. No, it isn't. it's the cross it's the cross and we've lost our way but hey man we're still doing hard work we're patiently enduring we're not tolerating evil people we're putting them in their place people that say they're apostles and they're not we've proved they're liars we have patiently suffered and you can do all those things and still not be connected you can be like martha well, that one's not doing it right. That church over there, that's, that's not right. That's not correct. That's not biblical. These people over here, oh, you people, you, you disgust me. Why? Because there's no connection to the Father, and there's no connection to love one another, and so it's just all works, and it's dangerous, and it's subtle, and apparently it's a big deal to go through this outward activity but have no love and no connection. I wanted, One last passage of scripture that I want to give you is from Philippians chapter three. If you pressed me and said, what's your favorite passage of scripture? It'd be Philippians chapter three, because Philippians chapter three feels like my life, because I've always been a good church kid. Um, I mean, I, I did my own thing, and I was selfish and all of these things, but for the most part, I was a good church kid, lived a double life for a while, but you know, good church kid. And then I got super religious, you know, all about fasting, all about knowing the truth of God's word and accurately discerning it and cutting up everybody else with the word who didn't agree with my viewpoint on the word. And so I kind of felt like a lot like the apostle Paul. And then I had an encounter with God that didn't leave me blind, but it kind of did leave me dumbfounded. Um, It kind of left me with like, okay, so everything I believed up to this point feels like it's not true, and I don't know what to do next. And so I went to my my dorm room, and I'm like, help me, Jesus. And uh, then Ananias, or Pat Donaldson, knocked on my door and helped me see and so uh, I kind of feel like that guy in Philippians chapter three, and I so I think I know this chapter frontwards and forwards and backwards, and it's just amazing, and I love it. And uh, and so I'm reading Jeff's book, and he's he's alluding to Philippians chapter three, and I'm like, oh, I love this chapter, uh, but it hit me in an unbelievable way. Paul says, I once thought these things were valuable. What things? All of the things I do to be right with God, all the activity, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Now, he's not saying good works are worthless. Good works are only worthless when compared to knowing Christ. Okay? Good works need to flow out of knowing Christ, but... Compared to knowing Christ, they're worthless. For his sake, I've discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage, so that I may gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. I become righteous through faith in Christ, for God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. Now, most of us know that at the start, but it's when we have been Christians a long time that we forget that. And we start trying to live by our own merit and our own activity, and we start going through activity without connection to the Father, and we're trying to do everything for Him, but we're not doing anything with Him. And then we're getting frustrated, and we're getting burned out, and we're tired, and we're spent, and we're wondering why we're spinning our wheels. And what Paul is saying is, and Jeff does a great job of making this analogy like, um, the garbage heap and he talks about the putrid smell of garbage. And, you know, when you pull the lid off a garbage can that's been sitting there and it's rancid and there's maggots at the bottom and it's just, it's just putrid. I mean, that's, that's in essence the smell. And the crazy thing is, is after I read that section of the book, I went out for a run. Did I tell you this story? I went out for a run and I ran by a dumpster and I smelled it and I had to stop because it clicked in my head. Once I smelled the smell... I had to stop and worship, and I just thought, you know what, God, you're so totally pleased with me, no matter how I perform, and when you get that revelation, the performance becomes so much easier, because you're not doing it to try to earn something, you're doing it because you've already earned something, and I know we know it up here, but a lot of times we don't know it down here. And so Paul is trying to say that everything we do, all of our service, all of our good deeds, all of our offerings, all of our evangelism, all of our church attendance, all of our serving the poor, everything, compared, without Christ, without connection to him, it's like the worst stench. In fact, here it is. It's like the worst stench of the worst garbage dump, outhouse, or barnyard you've ever known. That's it. That's the smell of it. So this church, even though in Revelation chapter two, we would look at them and be like, man, they're so successful and they're they're so good. And man, that church is really hopping in. But when God walks by, this is what he smells. He doesn't smell the sweet aroma of sacrifice. And then there are other churches over here that, man, they're not doing it quite right. And it's kind of messy. And they're, you know, they're they're, they're struggling. And sometimes their worship is just like, you know, it's like choppy and weird and then they take time in the middle of service to maybe pray for each other and that doesn't flow real good and man that church is over there is more successful but when God walks by that church it's a good aroma because it's not their perfection and their performance it's their connection to the heart of the father and their connection to one another Does that makes sense I hope it makes sense so today we've got churches that are full of people that really don't know God I mean, we know all of his stories and we know all of his commands. We know what he loves. We know what he hates. We know the traditions of the church. But I wonder if we would honestly know God's voice if he shouted it from the rooftops. I wonder if we're like Martha, even though we're sitting in this room with our hands up and we're so distracted. We're so distracted by so many other things. We're distracted by good things, churchy things. We're distracted by fighting for right doctrine. We're distracted by that person on Facebook that we have to go back and correct. And we're distracted by that that person we had a conversation with, and i got to put them in their place. And, you know, I know the Bible says that we need to, at times, stand up and correct one another, but here's the thing. No one's salvation depends on you or me. I mean, yeah, when God prompts us, we want to be obedient, we want to speak, but them coming to know Christ doesn't depend on me. It depends on him. And so the question that we need to ask today, does our life look more like Mary or does it look more like Martha? Are we living from a place of peace and rest and trust and worship? Or are we living from a place of distraction and worry and anger and bitterness and resentment? I mean, we may look like we're being successful. It may look like we're leading a good Christian life on the outside, but the question is, is our doing flowing out of our intimacy with him? And only you and him can answer that question. Because it's really hard to tell on the outside. They look so similar. None of the other churches around the church in Ephesus from Revelation chapter 2 probably would have been able to tell there was something wrong. They looked good. But Jesus came and said, you know what, guys, there's something you need to fix. And so the question today is, as we take a spiritual inventory of our lives, how are we going to respond? Here's what I believe that is happening in today's world. I believe today, today, right now in 2019, so weird, I forgot what year it was the other day. Because I inadvertently, in something I'm reading, wrote down the year 2008. Yeah, I was 10 years off, and then I was so confused I had to find a calendar. I'm, I don't know. Maybe I'm aging, and I don't know what happens. But I missed 10 years, so it was, it was really bad. 11 years, because it's 2019. But here's what I believe in 2019. God is calling every one of us into a closer, intimate relationship with himself Today. Today. Some of you sitting in this room, um, are, you're tired, you're worn, you're spent because you're serving God relentlessly. And much like the, the church in the, the bo- book of Revelation in Ephesus, um, maybe you've lost your first love. It doesn't mean you don't love God. It means you've lost your connection to him. It means now you're so busy pursuing ministry for him that you've stopped pursuing him. And so you're trying to accomplish ministry for him, apart from him, and you're tired and you're weary and you feel like you can't go on and you feel like other people are to blame because they're letting you down or they're not meeting you where you are. Oh, trust me, I know this place. I mean, as a pastor, it's easy to get there. It's easy to feel like you're the only one serving God. Ask Elijah. I'm the only one left, God. No one else is serving you. And God just adds it in as a footnote. Oh, by the way, Elijah, there's thousands that haven't bowed their knee to Baal. You're not the only one. But you've got to come back to that place of connection. And so I'm hoping that today, as we come to the end of this service, that we can just reconnect you with the heart of the Father. If you're here and none of that is true about you, and you feel like you're connected to the Father... Great, then you can just take these next few moments and just love on him and you can just connect with him again and maybe he's going to prompt you to minister to someone that's disconnected. Maybe he's going to put someone on your heart to go pray for. So we've got about 10 minutes left so don't check out on me yet because everyone's needed. If you're in this room and you need to be honest with yourself and you say, you know what? I've been serving God and I've been busy and everything looks good on the outside but there's some stuff on the inside that really just needs to be dealt with. And I want us to sing a song together that, and the song that I picked for us to sing is called, God, I Look to You. And I love it because it starts by saying, God, I look to you. I won't be overwhelmed. You know how easy it is to get overwhelmed when you look at the to-do list? (laughs) Anybody? I get overwhelmed when I see my to-do list. (laughs) But when I look to him, I figure he's going to help me Fulfill the to-do list that I can get done that day. And I'm getting better at learning at the end of the day. What didn't get done, didn't get done. Because I got to look to him. And so I don't want you to just sing, God, I look to you. I won't be overwhelmed for you. I believe this is a prophetic song. That you need to sing over your own life. You need to sing it over your situation. You need to sing it over your relationships. You need to sing it over your family. You need to sing it over our nation today. In fact, in in the song, she'll call us to do that. But I want you to do that. For those of you that are in this room that maybe you've got situations in your life that are just, they're hard and you don't know what to do. um, Before you focus on what to do, just look to him. Look to him. And that's the call. Why do we worship? We worship because we need to be connected to Him. And so I, w- I want you to stand with me. And I hope that today I was able to communicate clearly the, the content of the, what uh, God put in my heart. I didn't cover most of what He put in the chapter because there were some other things that I felt like God wanted me to share. And uh, I just hope that it, it, it communicates clearly the things that are in our Father's hearts to every one of us right now. And so, Father, I just pray for this body right now. God, for the truth of your word that I've shared, God, to just penetrate their hearts over these next few moments, God, to go deep into the soil of their hearts. For things that I've shared with them, God, that have come from my own heart or my own mind, God, just remove those. Just let them fall off so that what's true just remains in their hearts that it gives them the, the strength they need to face today, to face this week. God, that it gives them the connection with you that they need to face what's, what's about to take place in their lives through this week. God, to be victorious in their lives this week, to overcome, to deposit the kingdom everywhere they go. And so, God, we just take these few moments now, and We we look to you because you're our source. As we sing this song together, if you want to come to the front, These altars are going to be open to you. If you want to stay in your seat, you can do that. But uh, I want to encourage you just to sing it. Make it your prayer as we sing it to him. We're just going to look to him. Our prayer team is going to be here in the front. If you at any point need someone to pray with you, we're available to you for that. But uh, after the song, I'll come back. I'll dismiss us in prayer. But let's just take these moments now. Just center on him. Just begin to sing this song over your life. Make it your prayer to him repent, repent. If you've been doing without that connection, just repent of it today and come back to Him.